Amen. Our last message in the Gospel of John. John chapter 5 tonight. John chapter 5. Again, next week we have our Christmas Eve service. That will be a standalone message. And then we're not going to be meeting on the 31st of December, New Year's Eve, or on the 7th of January. So again, mark your calendars. The next time we will be in the cafeteria for Bible study in the new year will be Tuesday, January the 14th. And that will be the start of our study in the book of Revelation, January the 14th. John chapter 5, John writes, After this, there was a Jewish feast, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Jesus observed the Jewish feasts. They were very important to God. They were annual gathering gatherings of Jews together in Jerusalem each year. And God appointed the nation of Israel to observe these annual feasts. There was also a weekly assembly that God called His people to. It was called the Sabbath day. All the other feasts and festivals and appointed times were yearly, but the Sabbath was a weekly gathering together. And the reason why that's going to come into play, we'll find out just a little bit later, but I want to read these two verses out of the book of Leviticus tonight. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are the Lord's appointed times, which you must proclaim as holy assemblies, my appointed times. They were set, they were fixed by God. And God said to his people, you must, if you're going to walk with me, If you're going to follow me, if you're going to obey me, then you must observe these times. And again, one of these times was the Sabbath. And there's so much misunderstanding about the Sabbath, even in our day and age. There are still people that believe that the Sabbath is Sunday rather than Saturday, but that's not true. The reason we worship on Sunday is because it is the Lord's day. It's the day he rose from the dead. And so from the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, they began meeting together once a week on the Lord's day, not on the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was this. And by the way, the Sabbath that God instituted in the book of Exodus and on through the Old Testament was different than the Sabbath rest that God took in the book of Genesis. So we can't get those two and and say they're the same. They're not. For the sake of time tonight, here's what I want to say about the Sabbath. Some people throughout history, even followers of God, have gotten the idea, well, the reason God gave us the Sabbath on a weekly basis is we can pretty much do what we want to do six days a week, but we've got to give one day a week to God. That's never in the Bible. A follower of God is to give God all their time, seven days a week. There is no, well, this is my time. and It's all God's time. The Sabbath was given on a weekly basis to call God's people to gather together, to bind them together once a week. In other words, God was saying, 
You can be on your own six days of the week, but you are obligated before me to come together. It was a binding together. It was actually something that was to bring unity to the body of Christ or the body of God in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, and to proclaim to the world that they were one in their worship of God. And yet down through history, sad to say, the Sabbath has become very divisive rather than a very unifying principle that God meant it to be. So the reason why God set aside one day a week, a Sabbath, whether you want to, again, observe it on a Saturday, or you want to observe it on a Sunday, the point is simply this. God calls out His people to come together at least once a week. It's not that we give God one day a week, we give God seven days a week. You see, so the Sabbath was never meant to be applied individually like people do. The Sabbath was meant to be applied corporately. Okay, that's why in Leviticus 23, it talks about holy assemblies. And then he goes on to talk about the Sabbath. Because it was a gathering together of the people, just as these festivals were once a year whether it was Passover, the festival, or the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of whatever it was, it was a gathering together of God's people in Jerusalem. So Jesus, also being a good Jew, and observing the Word of God from the Old Testament, back to John 5, he went up to Jerusalem to gather together with God's people, to set an example before them. This is what we need to do. We need to gather together. We need to be bound together by these festivals and these feasts. And there was in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which, by the way, means house of mercy or outpouring, which has five covered walkways and a great number of sick blind lame and paralyzed people were lying in these walkways now a man was there who had been disabled for 38 years that's a long time by the way just curious i know a lot of you use the net bible and not that that's the only bible it's not the only translation. But in your translation of your Bible, do you have this phrase that adds, they were waiting the multitudes for the moving of the water, for an angel of the Lord went down and stirred up the water at certain times, and whoever first stepped in after the stirring of the water was healed from whatever disease which they suffered. Do you have that? Okay. This is, this is something good to mention here. I don't want to get too involved with it. This is another reason why that the Word of God that we have today has so many checks and balances because there's so, much, so many manuscripts out there that we can weed out things that have been added. And that phrase in the Gospel of John never appears, this is very important, 
never appears in any manuscript out of the thousands of New Testament manuscripts. It never appears in any manuscript or copy of a manuscript before A.D. 400. That's a big deal. (laughs) In other words, the thousands of manuscripts and copies of manuscripts up to 400 A.D. never has that phrase. It was added after 400 A.D., obviously by some translators, some scribes who were copying it. And in their mind, obviously, they took liberty. They were trying to explain the bubbling up of the water. And, you know, there was a lot of, you know, even back then, sort of like imaginations running wild. And so, oh, maybe an angel comes and bubbles up the water and when people get in and all that. I'm not going to get, again, too much into it tonight, but we know that this pool had a high mineral content and was warm. And so there probably were people that felt better when they went down into that warm, bubbling spring and, and, you know, full of minerals, especially if they had arthritic conditions or achy joints or whatever. I'm sure that they probably believed, you know, they were healed. But there is no good evidence up until 400 A.D., that that phrase should be in the Bible as a translation. So that's why the Net Bible leaves it out, but then adds a note underneath of it, you see. And again, that's why I can with confidence tell people, look, I know what we have has went through so many checks and balances because each manuscript, we compare it with all the thousands of copies and manuscripts out there and we can get back to what agrees with everything else out there and we can know what's been added or what's been left out. And even if a human error came around and even if a scribe left out a word, you can go to the other 5,000 manuscripts and go, well, we know what word he left out because all the other 4,999 manuscripts have this word. See? That's how accurate it is. God, if God created the universe, God can preserve His Word. And He can make sure that the Word that He wants us to have today has been preserved and is accurate, you see. It's one of the reasons why He wrote it, the New Testament in the Greek language, which was the most precise language ever, you know, used, and why He's allowed so many manuscripts and copies and stuff to exist. All right, I know you didn't come to hear all that, but that's important. It's important. So here's the point. Notice again in verse three, a multitude of sick, blind, lame, paralyzed people were lying in these walkways. Hopeless to some degree and yet hopeful because, you know, if they could just maybe get into the water, you know, there was that belief that that they could feel better. And the Bible says, again in verse 6, Jesus saw him lying there and he realized that the man had been disabled a long time already. Why? Well, one of the reasons why is he's God. And he is intimately acquainted with what's going on in our lives. He knew that this man had been lying there at, by that pool and had been taken you know, by somebody or by a group of people every day for 38 years and laid by that pool. Think about it. 38 years of this. That's a long time. 
to be suffering with that. And the Bible even says that. And so Jesus maybe to us asked the man a very strange question. When he comes upon the man who's been lying there for such a long time, just waiting for somebody to take him down into the water. And so obviously, too, there's that he must have had either a friend or somebody who was willing to take him to the pool, but he never had anybody who was willing, I guess, to actually take him down in to the pool, I guess, when the water started to bubble up or whatever. So he's still there after all this time, and Jesus asks him this question. Do you want to become well? Now, on the surface, you and I would just go, well, duh. Of course, that's why I have been here for 38 years. I'm trying to get well. Ah, but again, Jesus, being God, can see many times what we fail to see or cannot see. On the surface, that seems like a dumb or strange question to someone who's been infirm for 38 years, lying by a pool, wanting to be healed. But God understands the heart of humanity. And understands many times that we really don't know what we want. And that sometimes the things that we think we want, we haven't really thought through all the ramifications of if we got what we want, what that would mean. And so one of the things that Jesus is saying here by saying, do you want to become well? Because by the way, the word well here means sound. It means whole. It, it, it means to grow, to increase. It's way more than just physical healing here. Okay? In the word well. Jesus comes to not just heal, but to make people whole. Do you want to become whole? See? Because let's remember here, just like in all other passages of the Gospels, Jesus never performed mass healings. As we just saw, there were a multitude of people in need of healing, but Jesus was dealing with this one individual. He never performed mass resurrections from the dead. He never performed mass healings of the blind or the lame or whatever. Never. Because one of the things the Bible teaches us is though God never originally intended suffering and obviously pain and death to be part of His creation, when sin entered in through the fall, God has now been able, obviously in His greatness and in His wisdom and all of that, to use suffering in humanity's lives to bring them to a better place spiritually many times. And so God has many purposes for allowing suffering in people's lives. So that's why He deals with people individually, and that's why He doesn't necessarily just 
heal everyone around because there's reasons why this one was and this one wasn't. And we have to let that up to the wisdom and mind of God. He knows exactly what each person needs and also what is going to bring him glory. See. What Jesus is also trying to get this man and any of us to see is this. As miserable as you may think your existence has been up to this point, 38 years lying by this pool every day, if I do heal you, if you can now walk from this day forward, you realize now that your wholeness, your soundness, also equals greater responsibility before me as God. In other words, do you realize that if I heal you now, Next Sabbath, you're going to be responsible to gather. Your feet's going to have to take you to church, in a sense. And, and if, if you can move and start helping others, then you're going to be obligated, you're going to be responsible to use your good legs and, and the soundness of your body and the wholeness of your being now to serve and help others that you were never responsible for before. Are you sure you're ready for this change? Because many times we think, God, I want something to change or I want this change in my life. And God says, do you really want that change? Maybe you've gotten a little, even though you might think you're in pain and you're uncomfortable where you're at, you probably have gotten a little used to it. And, and you realize that when Jesus comes into our lives, he does want to bring about change. But do we really, are we really going to embrace the change that God wants to bring about? I'll give you a, a practical, totally unrelated illustration of this. And gals, I don't mean to pick on you because we guys, we have our own issues too just so happens that this is one that popped into my mind. That there are women that are married to unbelieving husbands who will pray for years and years and years and just, oh, I want my husband to be saved. I, I want my husband to come to Christ. And I've even witnessed it. And sometimes those husbands come to Christ and it just throws their wives into a... It, because though they said, I, I want this change, when the change comes, well, that's not really how I wanted that to go. I mean, yeah, I, I like the fact that he knows God now, but this has changed the whole dynamic of how we did things. Yeah. And see, that's what Jesus is trying to get this guy to see. Do you really want me to make you well? Are, are you sure you're not just going to be satisfied to just stay by this pool? Because if I heal you, oh my, things are going to drastically change. Are you ready for the change that's coming? Now again, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up or bubbling up. 
while I'm trying to get into the water, someone else goes down there before me. And again, he's just looking at it from, I don't have a human being who can get me into the water. That's again, that's his little box. See? In his mind, he has reduced healing and wholeness and soundness to, I got to get into that water. And here's God right in front of him who could do all kinds of you know, things and has, has all means of creation at his disposal, disposal and he's looking at that little thin box of, I need to get into that water. And that illustrates for us how we need to be careful, again, that we don't put God into this little box and we're just looking for this little sliver of an answer here and yet God is over here going, well, you know, there's, there's a whole other way we could do this. And just because you don't have a human being who can get you into the water doesn't mean God's not in the equation. Don't look for a human being to be the answer. Look to God as the answer. Jesus' name means Jehovah is salvation. Deliverance. Not man. We don't find our salvation and deliverance in men. We find it in God. So notice, Jesus said to him, Stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Not only stand up, but now you are responsible, not someone else, to bear your mat, to carry your bed, and to start walking. Now, many people see very quickly the the miracle of instantaneous, immediate healing. But there's a second aspect of this miracle. If you or I were lying down for 38 years and had never used our muscles for 38 years, we would need to be in rehab for a long time We would need to be in physical therapy for years to get to the point where we could just automatically just start moving as if nothing ever happened. So don't miss the second aspect of this miracle. Not only did Jesus instantaneously and immediately give this man healing, but all the muscles and nerves and all of that that had not been used for 38 years, when it was instantaneously and immediately brought back to full restoration. He didn't need to go through any therapy. He didn't need to go through any kind of physical therapy. He was able to immediately use these muscles as if he had always used them. And the Bible says in verse 9, immediately the man was healed, fully restored. And he picked up his mat and started walking. Now here's where we get a little sticky. Now that day was the Sabbath. That's going to cause problems. And Jesus knows it. That's why he does it. Because he wants to confront 
the religious leaders of Israel with their erroneous teachings and with leading people astray and bring them into bondage and taking the teaching of the Old Testament and twisting it and turning it to meet their own ends rather than teaching it as God intended for it to be. So notice, the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, verse 10, it is the Sabbath, and you are not permitted to carry your mat. Literally, it's not lawful. It's against the law to carry your bed. Okay? I'm going to get back to that. But look at verse 11. This is a very important point as well. The man answered. He answered them. The man who made me well. Did he know who Jesus was? Did he know Jesus was the Messiah? Did he know he was the Son of God? No. He calls Jesus the man. So very important point here. For those who think that I have to have faith in order to be healed, or for those who say, well, if you just had more faith, you would be healed. Yes, there are times where Jesus in the Gospels responded to people's faith and healed them. But you see here that again, not putting God in a box, that God is a God of grace. And sometimes God just chose to heal people because whether they even knew who he was or placed faith in him at all, because this man placed no faith in Jesus except to just obey what Jesus said. But he had no clue that he was the Son of God. He had no clue that he was the Messiah. He was just a man. You see. To him. The man who made me well, the author or cause, said to me, pick up your mat and walk. In other words, it's not my fault I'm doing this. I'm blaming him. Now again, God established the Sabbath. And, and the word Sabbath literally means to cease. Okay? It was intended by God as a time to reflect and acknowledge Him and to come together as God's people to worship Him. It got convoluted over the years. And by the time Jesus comes along, the religious leaders of Israel basically were telling people, and even at the end of the Old Testament era, rolling into the New Testament era, you can't do any work. You can't do any work. Now again, mind you, yet if you pressed a Jewish rabbi, they would say, well, I know God technically never really ceases working because He has to keep the universe going. And he is the giver of life, so if a baby's born on the Sabbath, yeah, he's technically... But somehow, again, again, when people are messed up in their theology, they always have ways of being able to justify it somehow. So they came along and basically started putting all this extra stuff on top of the Sabbath. To the point where people, even in Jesus' day, didn't feel like they could move. Because like, oh my goodness, it's the Sabbath. I can't do anything on the Sabbath or else I'm sinning. That was never God's intent. God's intent of the Sabbath was you better set aside at least one day a week to come together and reflect on me and acknowledge me 
as my people. That's what the Sabbath was for. And that's why Jesus did this purposefully and specifically because he wants to point out to these religious leaders, you have really messed up the intent of God's word and God's will in these people's lives. So they ask him, verse 12, who is the man who said to you, pick up your mat and walk? The man who had been healed didn't even know who he was. For Jesus had even slipped out since there was a crowd in that place. After this, Jesus found him at the temple. That's a good place to find him. Again, at least there's a little bit of a clue there that, okay, he's been healed, so where's the first place he goes? The temple. That's good. That's good. But Jesus wanted to bring this man He didn't just want to physically heal this man. He he wanted to get into his soul. That's always God's intent. We always want to just leave it at the physical part. And God knows that the spiritual needs in man are way bigger than any physical need. And so Jesus wants to take this opportunity, which is why he finds this man that he healed, to try to give him some kind of spiritual grounding before he goes off and never sees him again. So he says to him, look, you have become well. Don't sin any more, lest anything worse happen to you. What Jesus is simply saying is, from this point on, or hereafter, Do not wander from the will and word of God because spiritually speaking, that's more destructive than anything you could experience physically. You think you've suffered physically for 38 years by having to be by a pool waiting for bubbling waters to get in? Jesus is simply telling him that is nothing in comparison with the loss of your soul. If you now, if I have made you well, then you should commit yourself to following God wholeheartedly because your spiritual part, your soul, is way more important than anything I just did for you physically. It's exactly what Jesus says to the rich young ruler when he talks about the fact that, you know, a person can gain the whole world even win $600 million lottery. The mega millions. But if you lose your soul, what's it, what's it mean? See? And so that's, that's really all Jesus is saying here. He's saying, look, yeah, it's great that now you can walk and, and you can go to church on your own and all that, but man, if, if for you it's like, okay, that's it. I was healed. That, that's the end. Jesus is like, no, that, this is just the beginning. You see. Because your soul and where you spend eternity is way more important than the suffering you've already endured in a physical way. Eternal separation from God is way more out there than 38 years by a pool and not being able to walk 
So in verse 15, the man went away and informed the Jewish leaders that Jesus was the one who had made him well. You know, did he do what he was supposed to do or think he was a little bit like throwing Jesus under the bus? I don't know. I have mixed feelings about what the man did, to be honest with you. But here's where I want to end tonight. Now, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began persecuting him. By the way, the word persecuting here means to pursue in a hostile manner, to harass. When we talk about persecution, that's really what persecution in the Bible is. It's pursuing someone in a hostile manner, harassing them. So Jesus told them, and here's where we tie it back in to the whole purpose of the Sabbath and all of that and their misunderstanding of the word and will of God and how they had just caused so many problems that God never intended when he gave man the Sabbath. Jesus is, what he's about to say just blows their theology away. Because here's what he says. My father is working until now. In other words, my father is always working. And I, too, am always continuously working. Work was never the issue. It was never the issue with God that a person couldn't work or do something to benefit somebody else on the Sabbath day. That was never the intent of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was given by God to say to people, you need to set aside at least one day a week to come together with my people and acknowledge me and worship me and reflect upon me. That's what the Sabbath was for. Because if you're saying that the Sabbath means don't work, then God's breaking his own Sabbath. Because Jesus is saying, God is always at work. Now we've come to 2013 in our calendar of human history here. And you start thinking about the people even today. 2013, well, okay, say almost 2,000 years after Jesus was here. Who still are messed up on the Sabbath. <laughs> Think about it. They still do not have a clear understanding of the Sabbath and why it was given 2,000 years later after Jesus even taught this. And then we wonder why it's important to get people into the Word of God and have them begin to understand what God really meant when He said this or that. This is why. Because this is what you end up with. When people are not, they do not have an accurate understanding of the Word of God, it messes everything up. In fact, Jesus, or the Bible says in verse 18, for this reason the Jewish leaders were trying even harder to kill him. Because notice, not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was also calling God his own Father, thus making himself equal with God. 
By the way, it's clear that Jesus declared that he was equal with God. You know, people, well, Jesus, you know, he, he never really made that claim. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. That's why they were trying to kill him. It wasn't because of the miracles he did and even his teaching as radical as it might have been. It was because in their minds as the Jewish religious leaders, he was blaspheming by making himself equal with God. That's even what they said to the Roman authorities when they brought him to Pilate. But I want to go back to this point and I'll close with this. The word breaking here in verse 18 is a very important an interesting word in the Greek. It means to loosen the chains of. <laughs> and so notice, the Jewish religious leaders are even saying, he is trying to loosen the chains of the Sabbath. Yeah, that's exactly what he was doing. Because you all, down through your history, have taken what God meant for good the Sabbath, and by your own man-made rules and traditions that you have added to the word and intent of God, you have now wrapped chains around people to where they don't even think they can move or do anything on the Sabbath because of your man-made rules and traditions. I have come to break those chains and to set you free. And that's what Jesus does in our lives. He sets us free from the legalism and all the man-made rules and stuff that have been added to the Word of God. That where the Word of God and what God truly intended gets lost. And here's the reason why man does it. Because man wants to be in control. And because man, whether he wants to admit it or not, wants to control other people. And so when men and women get in positions of spiritual leadership, they begin to add things to the Word of God so that they can try to control the behavior of other people. And this is totally against the Word and will of God. Jesus clearly said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you feel like your relationship with God has put chains around you, you may want to reflect a little bit and determine, are these chains that are around me, are these chains from God? Or are these chains man-made? Have I created these chains for myself? Have others created these chains for me? Or is this of God? And this is why this miracle, the third miracle that Jesus did in the Gospel of John was so important. Not just because at the end of it does He declare Himself equal with God but because it shows the real intent of why Jesus came. He didn't just come to save us from our sin. He came to save us and deliver us from the mess 
that men and women had made of his word and of his will down through history to the point where what for no other way to say it, what religion looked like in Jesus' day was nothing like God meant it to be. And I will only say this in closing. I just wonder, when Jesus comes back, even if He came back right now, today, how much of what we say, this is what religion and this is what faith should be all about today, would really line up with what God says, or as much of what we say is really important in all of that, more what we have created as human beings down through history. Is it God? Is it of God? Is it from God? Or is it from man? And this is why Jesus was doing this miracle. so much more going on here than just the healing of a man by a pool. Let's pray. God, help us to see things as You see them. God, we can so easily, even as those who claim to be followers of Yours, we can so easily lose the intent and, and the purpose for what you have said to us and, and why you give it to us. I guess the easiest way to say is we can get off track so quickly and easily. God, help us to stay on track with you. Help us to be people of the Word who truly study Your Word and, and gain an understanding of it to where we have an accurate understanding of what You have said and why You say it. Because Lord, this passage alone tells us how much your intent for the Sabbath day had gotten ruined and messed up even by the time Jesus came to earth. And, and really, God, we could say that as we look around in 2013, there are still many people who are very confused and conflicted about the Sabbath. They really don't understand what that's all about. I pray, God, that in our desire, if we have a desire to really know Your Word and Your will, that, Lord, it would drive us to make sure that we truly want to come to an accurate and clear understanding of what You've revealed. Because, Lord, if we don't, as we've seen tonight, it not only messes up our lives we may end up messing up other people's lives as well. So God, help us to get it right. And help us to have the desire to want to get it right. More than we want to be right. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Guys, I've enjoyed this study of the Gospel of John. Look forward to the new year in the book of Revelation. Thanks for being here. Don't forget, next Tuesday, 7 o'clock, Christmas Eve.